1: Also, the things we say, they only reflect our brilliant Black woman magic mind
0: and not our employers. You could have been anywhere, y'all, but you chose to be here with us, and we appreciate you. Let's, Let's go.
1: go. Um, the people need to know, Mahalia has uh, gone for a protective style right now. She is mm. presenting herself in uh, the form of Senegalese twists. Maybe, um, do I have that correct?
0: No, but I, I was
1: gonna. Oh, dang, that's what I thought they were, but you know what? are
0: very close, actually.
1: Okay, okay well, well, go ahead and uh, go ahead and school me then.
0: So, yeah, I went for a new style. I have not done these before, but these are called Marley Twist.
1: Marley Twist, yeah.
0: Have you heard of those?
1: No, they look
0: like Senegalese twist to me. Yeah. I'm
1: about to get schooled,
0: so let's do it. Right, because I, I I learned this for myself too. So the difference mostly between Marley twist and Senegalese twist are the type of hair that they, that they use. Oh. So it's both my hair. So Mahalia is kind of interwoven in with um, hair extensions, but these types of extensions are a little bit more coarse.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: so the texture actually matches more with my natural texture as opposed to the hair that's used with Senegalese twists and box braids—it's a little bit more like straight and, and silky. So I'm I'm feeling these Marley twists because it feels like a little bit more of a natural look to me. They're a little bit bigger than what I n- normally would would have gone for in the past, but it's actually great because it cut down the time that I was in the chair. Mm-hmm. So, so you know, um, you
1: know, we 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 don't always offer an explanatory comma to people, but um, one, you know, if you're a person. Particularly, people uh, of African descent or who have um, curly, textured hair. Th- there are times when you just need to protect your hair from it being combed and manipulated for a period of time. And so we often refer to those as protective styles, braids, and sometimes you know even full sewing weaves can be a protective style as well. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a, a nice little hair wrap for a few few beats, you know. Yeah.
0: part too. Yeah, so that, that 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 looks really good. I like it. Thank you, you know. And we're in the the midst of interview season, so I love seeing all my other natural-haired sisters out there wearing these protective styles. Because for a long time, I at least operated under the impression that this was not professional hair. Girl, don't even get us <laughs> <on that>. right. <laughs> that can be that
1: could be its whole podcast exactly about what is professional and what is not so just come on in here as yourself and and actually sidebar if you interview at a place that does not like your hair as you would normally wear it that's probably not a good place for you so if you have to mm-hmm. completely hide who you are for the interview day you might get low key exhausted when you get there
0: amen
1: you you did that you did that yesterday yeah last night well, I'm glad you, you had that respite because, um, um lately, you and I've been talking a little bit about how sweet life can be, but how uncertain it can be hundred um, percent. And, you know, I, I am aware that right now your community is, is reeling from loss, unexpected loss. And, um, it is nice to have those little moments where you can kind of step away and catch your breath.
0: Yeah, no, I think you, you took the words right out of my mouth. It was uh, an unexpected and, and personal loss of, of one of the folks in our community. And, um, you know, one of the most healing aspects through a very dark week was being able to, to come together in spaces that were filled with love. And as, as hard as it's been, like that has been so uplifting for me personally, I think for a lot of folks in our community, just to pump the brakes and just love on each other. Yep. Um, which is why we we canceled a lot of you know interviews and conferences, um, even yeah. took a bye week
1: from the podcast. so in in our defense and also I think it's important for people to know this that you know we we have to model for each other mm-hmm. um, moments of pausing to know what's important, right And absolutely. You know, here you were talking about, I'm getting ready to edit and I'm getting ready to do this. And I'm like, yo, no, you are not. (laughs) What you were going to do, but but, but we won't have an episode. And I'm like, and we will have an episode the following week and it will be okay. Yeah.
0: You know, as much as I I talk about this and and harp on this to my mentees, I still find myself surprised at how much I need permission to stop. (laughs) And I have... Appreciated more than once from you and, and other uh, folks and supervisors and advisors that are close to me, like for them to let me know when I need to stop.
1: Yeah, yeah. And you know, can I just add to this that the the world just keeps turning. It mm-hmm. just does. It, it and sometimes we can trick ourselves into thinking that we are just this big cog that if we if we step out, everything is going to grind to a an halt, and that's not true. And we've seen it happen time and time again, you know, we've seen, you know, someone who was there and then they're not, but, but then you get up the next day and, you know, the same person is standing at the, you know, at the front of the hospital and there's, there's still, you know, patients on the clinic schedule. And you're just like, mm-hmm. why is this happening? Everything should have stopped. Yeah. Um, which is why we have to, you know, it's like what you said before, rest is reparations. And, and we have to, to honor ourselves and the people that we love by, by pausing and loving on ourselves and just going hard as we can in the moment because you got the moment. And that's yes. what you got.
0: Yes. That's a whole word.
1: Yes, girl. I never hear it enough, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sorry. Um, and sending a lot of love to the UCSF community.
0: I have a what today.
1: Okay. The what is belonging.
0: Belonging. Okay. I already know that I'm going to like this. You do? Yeah.
1: Oh, that's welcoming. Thank you. You're such a great clinician educator. Thank you. So, you know, I, I, I actually, I, I think a lot of people might be surprised um, to hear this, uh, but I am probably a little bit more of an introvert than I am an extrovert. I am actually um, an introvert with very good social skills. So I'm kind of a, a ambivert, you know, <laughs> um, uh, but I, I, um, so, so what well, I say that to say that, um, sometimes when I'm, when I'm in situations where I'm uncomfortable, I'll try to use my social skills to say things, to kind of insert myself into the space until I get comfortable enough, um, in conversation where it feels intimate. And once, once the environment is intimate, um, I behave more as an extrovert. But mm-hmm. if I'm uncomfortable, I, I, I'm a little more withdrawn. And I say this to say, um, I felt that a lot when I started my internship. As many of you already know, I, I went to Tuskegee for undergrad. I went to Meharry Medical College for medical school. I'm from Inglewood, California, and medical—I sc- mean—residency was my very first time ever stepping into a space where I was not surrounded by Black people. Mm -hmm. It's going to really be the very first time that I ever really felt what it was like to be other and to be an outsider. So most of my, my awkward feelings in in social situations were just people related. They didn't really have anything to do with how I was different from somebody or anything like that. And, and that was probably one of um, the hardest things that I dealt with when I first started my internship. And I I look back at my internship as a magical time because I learned a lot. But perhaps the loneliest time of my whole life, Mm. Um, and and I and I'm very clear using the word lonely because it was a really lonely time, not because it wasn't, you know, people around me to befriend and experience it with, but just things that just never made me feel like I all the way belonged at the beginning. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, my very um, one of my very first rotations, it was an inpatient month. And you know we were doing the thing that you do at the beginning of the month where everybody introduces themselves and give your little you know personal autobiography and and I and I basically you know say that my name's Kimberly I told my little background story and even though I had said my name was Kimberly and that I went to Mahari my attending he kept pronouncing my school as Mahari. Oh Lord which is very common because it's spelled M-E-H-A-R-R-Y, even though Harry, like Harry Potter, but whatever. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, I... <laughs> <laughs> but people, kiss, like, they, they, yeah, Harry, Carrie, I don't know. They yeah. just kept saying, he just kept saying Mahari. But I was the first person in the room, and he was kind of talking to me a little bit first. And then others from our team kind of trickled in. And my co-intern that month was a, a guy um, who was originally from Ohio, but who had come to us from Michigan for medical school. My attending looks over at him and he already knows who this kid is. So he mm-hmm. points at his lapel pen and says, oh, you went to Michigan? And he's like, yeah, go blue. And the <laughs> attending's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. Aren't you from Ohio? I thought, this is your dad on faculty at Ohio State? He's like, yeah, my dad's on faculty at Ohio State. He's like, oh my gosh, now where was undergrad for you? And he's like, Michigan. And he's like, no. So they get into this big conversation about Michigan there. And there was a, another like student on the team who'd gone to Ohio state. And it was just this whole big thing going on between Michigan and Ohio state. And, and, and so me, it was like somebody turning double Dutch ropes really fast. And I was trying to figure out how to jump in. Yeah. And so I inserted myself with a question and asked my, my classmate, my, my co-intern, I said, Hey, um, so what made you go to Michigan? And, you know, he was like, you know, at first I was just basically messing with my parents because everybody is like, it's like everybody went to Ohio state. And I was just like, you know what? I'm going to be the person who like deviates. He said, and then I go and look at Michigan and it turns out I just really liked it and it was a good fit for me. So I'm I'm really glad I went there. And I was like, wow, you know what? I know exactly how you feel because my whole family went to Tuskegee. You know, my parents met at Tuskegee. Um, He said, Tuskegee like the, the syphilis place and I, I was just you know again remember bef- before I came there I, I had I had been in environments where everybody knew of Tuskegee as as a place of like black excellence and the Tuskegee Airmen and Booker T Washington and all these cool people right mm-hmm. I, I was completely speechless and my attending goes you know there's a school there too and he goes oh wow really he's like wow I didn't even know that the more you know wow I didn't know that <laughs> I, so I am just like, wow. So I, I tried to overlook that. And I was like, yeah, I almost went to Spelman because I thought I was going to just mess with my parents and go there. And so mm-hmm. he was like, oh, he just made it like very clear from the look on his face. He didn't know what Spelman was. And they just kind of brushed over that statement and went back to all, all these conversations about Michigan and Ohio State. So that went on pretty much every day all day. And one day I remember we stepped on to an elevator rounding and another attending was on the elevator and, um, the other inter- attending looks and says, Oh, you got new interns. And he was like, yep, new interns. And he's like, okay, okay. Where are y'all here from? And my attending points at me. He's like, Kim is from Mahari. He goes, Mahari, Mahari, Mahari. I said, it's a historically black medical school in Nashville, Tennessee. And he goes, Mahar, oh, said, you know, I knew a guy who went there once. He was really nice. Um, that's good. Dude. That's cool. And then he sees the kid with the Michigan lapel pin and he says, mm-hmm. ah, my man, go blue. Ugh. And um, my attending says, no, not you, too. And he goes, oh, yeah. So they like have a whole like brotastic <laughs> Michigan moment, right? Mm-hmm. And they kind of start, you know, crap talking about Michigan and Ohio State and go Bucks and go Blue and back and forth. And and, and all I could think in that moment was whatever I had to say about my school, um, it just wasn't important enough to remember mm-hmm. because that happened like a week after I was already on the service. And um, all I remember thinking in that moment is how badly I wished I had gone somewhere else. Damn. I, I really wished that instead of going to Tuskegee, that maybe I'd gone to like Auburn mm. and that if instead of going to Meharry, I wished I'd gone, you know, somewhere that they all heard of and felt connection to so that I could be the person that was a part of the banter every day. And You know, I remember, and it's funny because I've brought this up before, but as we were getting off of that elevator, as if I didn't feel lonely enough in that moment, one of the attendings, the gold blue attending says, hey, they have pierogies in the cafeteria today. And my co-intern says, oh, wow, really? Are they any good? And he's like, they're actually surprisingly good. So everybody on the elevator, all of whom are white, except for me, they're like, oh, wow. We should all after rounds go to the cafeteria and have pierogies. I, I had never heard of a pierogi. I have since, I I've since know what it is.
0: Uh, for those of us who don't. maybe. Yeah.
1: Okay. So it's this like Polish potato field dumpling of sorts and places where there are a lot of a, a large Polish community often have them, but they were very popular uh, in Cleveland and, and, you know, some of the places that kind of have a lot of um, Polish people there and maybe places that don't. mm mm-hmm. But but for whatever reason, everybody knew what that was, and I didn't know. And I, I just felt like, like I felt like I was somebody who had just been dropped in from another planet. And anything I had to say came out like the Charlie Brown, you know, adult voice, <laughs> like nobody would listen or register or or make anything I said worth remembering. Mm. And, you know, my attending was really, really nice to me that month. He taught me a lot. He, he was very kind to me. That co-intern, we became friends. You know, we used to go eat pierogies in a cafeteria together. Um, that was the homie after a while. But I will never, ever forget how I felt that month. And I will never, ever let anybody feel that way Working with me, and I and I imagine those who are listening, who are international medical graduates, or who are other in any way, or who come into spaces where culturally they are not like they have not been in that culture, that this must be where what a lot of people feel like, and and there's probably been times that I had people feel that way, even mm-hmm. at my HBCU, there were probably people who came from other countries to my HBCU, and we talking about all the stuff that's American culture, absolutely, but it was. It it was a real inclusion issue because nobody was mean to me. Yeah. Nobody called me the N-word. Nobody directly committed some type of hardcore macroaggression. You know, the, the syphilis reference definitely was a microaggression. But but other than that, I mean, everybody was nice. And it didn't even occur to me until I was a grown ass woman later, just how. How wrong that was.
0: Yeah. I've heard you use the term micro invalidation. Yeah. Would you consider this like in that category? Absolutely. I mean, it was,
1: it was a micro invalidation. When I tried to draw the comparison to my family's tradition at Tuskegee to his family tradition at Ohio state, it was very, very clear that that was not, that was not the same to them. Yeah. And nobody even realized that they were hurting my feelings. And even I don't think I realized, yep. like I, I mostly just felt ashamed and yes. I knew, and I felt like I should just be quiet because yeah. you don't have the authority to be in this conversation. You should have worked harder and gone somewhere that everybody's
0: heard of. Yeah. Know? I mean, you know, I, I, like, like you mentioned, I imagine that so many of our, our, our folks who might be listening to this have, have felt this in, in various scenarios, but it's interesting the point that you make about like the the reflexive condition which is to recognize that you don't belong like you didn't show up with the right credentials which you know for me this started well before college this was grade school in the suburbs where it's just like you're not you're not showing up with the right credentials which is how you look how you talk you know how much money your parents make like all of that. And it was just this constant flood of invalidations. Mm -hmm. It's so lonely. And like you, like you said before, I mean, some of us who've who've had practice, you know, try to at times just diminish parts of of ourselves early on. The the, the saddest part about it is that um, it never occurred to
1: me until that moment that, that that wasn't as important. Because my whole world, I you know, when I stepped into Meharry, of course, everybody had heard of Tuskegee. Yeah, I wasn't the only person from Tuskegee who showed up in my freshman class at Meharry, you know, or when I would go home and or be a, in places in the black community and tell people that I was at Meharry in medical school. I mean, I was met with such pride and such warmth and celebration. And the fact that um, even to this day, I meet people, I'll have people introduce me as you know, a speaker somewhere, and they'll say that I went to Mahari. Grown-up me now um, stands up for emerging adult me a lot. Mm-hmm. I stand up for her by making those corrections. Actually, it's pronounced Mahari. Think Harry Potter, but with me in front, mm-hmm. so Mahari. And you know, I I wish I had been my attending. You know, yeah, yeah. that's that's honestly. Back then, I wished I had gone to a different school, but now I wish I had been my attending um, so that I could have let everybody know that her name is Kimberly. She went to Meharry, which was founded in 1876 and is one of the only two medical schools that survived the Flexner Report. And she went to Tuskegee University, which happens to be in the same county as where the untreated syphilis study of the NHS happened, but it is the home of Black excellence. And if her kids choose to go there, they will be fifth generation graduates of this illustrious institution. And it is not you know, the place that you should refer to by a venereal disease, but instead a place that, that has so much Black excellence that that should shadow, overshadow anything you're talking about. And I, you know, I don't know, it's, it's just, I I, I realize now that what we do with these experiences, these formative experiences, as we let them shape us, and then we go hard in in the spaces that we are afforded the opportunity to be in now, Mm -hmm. Um, because I'm not walking around angry, but I am thinking I'm a whole full professor with a national reputation. Yep. And what you're not going to do is introduce me somewhere and refer to my school as Mahari or you know, revise my name or, or any such thing or that of any person who looks like me and think you're not going to get corrected. That's just like affirming, right? And so if you introduce me somewhere and I'm your guest and you introduce me as an associate professor and I'm a full professor and I've been from over a year, you know, the, the, back in the day, I would have just thought it's my fault for not making sure before we started that you didn't have my correct title. No, 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 no. What I can do in that moment is say, "Hey, you know, we all know it's a tough. It's tough to reach full professor. So, shout out to all the associate professors out there. But um, I'm in the uh, 307 Black women in the mm-hmm. U.S. who call themselves full professor. Now, I've moved on up. I- I'm a correct people now.
0: Good. So. Yeah, I mean, and then this is the way towards meaningful change, right? You know, this has been the the call to action for many places who've made a commitment towards diversity, equity, and inclusion. But that inclusion piece is the thing that, for whatever reason, just does not quite hit home for for folks in terms of really expanding yourself to to think outside of what is you know easy and natural. And I understand, like. As someone who's probably introverted and socially awkward myself, like when you make an instant connection, like it's easy to want to take that and run with it. Mm-hmm. But when you're in a supervising position, when you're setting the tone, when your words carry the weight of validating and affirming, and you just selectively respond to the things that feel natural to you, like you're not honoring that commitment. And I say this as someone who's made these mistakes as well. Right. And I, I, I'm so
1: glad you said that because I think that piece is the part to point out. So sure. You know, I tell this story where, poor Kimberly, the intern, you know, didn't know what a pierogi was and was the outsider in this go bucks, go blue love fest. Right. (laughs) Um, But, 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 but again, there've been times where I've done the same thing, right. Where I show up in a space and I went to Tuskegee and somebody else went to Spelman and somebody else went to Hampton and we get all on the hype about our HBCUs and what it was like and our homecomings coming up. And then there's one person with us who immigrated here and who went to an Ivy League and who is in the middle of our conversation too and doesn't know anything about any of this. You you, you can have racial concordance and still commit this. You can have gender concordance. You can have all the concordances in the world and still screw up by, by being what I'd refer to as a cultural ball hog.
0: <laughs> don't, like don't
1: be a cultural ball hog, keep the ball moving. And now that I pay attention to that, I notice when something is happening where, where I'm being a cultural ball hog or somebody around me is, and it's our job as the leaders of the team um, to keep that spotlight
0: moving. Amen. Hey man, I'm going to hold on to that one. That's the ball. And, and making those accommodations will, will look different in different ways. I mean, it's not only, you know, inviting different perspectives into the conversation. Maybe it means like shying away from certain topics that, you know, like certain folks just aren't going to get, have it, have it on the side conversation. If, if y'all want to go down the rabbit hole of the latest hockey statistics, there is nothing I have to contribute to that conversation. i got nothing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I got nothing. Just like if somebody don't want to talk to he, talk to you about your um, Marley twist versus twist. <laughs> um, I mean, they might want to, right? You know, there.
0: But, but you know, it's, 100%. It's, 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 so everybody just pass the ball, keep the spotlight moving. You know, this is a natural part of human nature that we can all just be a little bit more aware of in these academic and medical educational spaces. That's a whole word and you know,
1: naturally because people want to survive. If if you don't give them the space to belong, they're going to try to do whatever it takes to belong. And for people who come from historically excluded groups, what that looks like is code switching and you become who you're not. You start to talk in ways you don't talk. You start to highlight interests that were not your interests and downplay the things about you that are very natural to you and it is cognitively and emotionally exhausting to do that so to ask any learner to do that while they are also trying to figure out how to use the electronic medical record and how to figure out goal-directed medical therapy at the same time that is a lot to ask so tell me what a pierogi is (laughs) and then in that same breath you know Tell me the mechanism of action of whatever new drug just came out yesterday that you want to tell me about, but you can't just be assuming that I know about everything or expecting me outside of reading about hyponatremia to get up to speed on all things, air quotes, (laughs) American culture.
0: 100%. Girl,
1: that's a whole lesson plan. A whole lesson plan C, but you know what? If you just distilled it all into one sentence, it's don't be a cultural ball hog. Mm-hmm. Pass the ball. I'm sending a, a big old cross country hug to you and the whole UCSF community. And I'm um, wishing all of you peace of mind and moments of gratitude and um, reminders of love and all this
0: important. Thank you, sis. I received that on this afternoon and reflect that back to you and to all the listeners. Love you, sis. Love you, too. All right, hello. That wraps up this week's episode of the Human Doctor Podcast.
1: Special thanks to our favorite brother gastroenterologist, Dr. Chuma Obiname for the beats. Shout out to the Dr. Ashley McMullen for editing and production.
0: Mad love to our podcast family at The Nocturness and the Clinical Problem Solvers, our Med Twitter fam. And especially shout out to all of you, our listeners. Until next week, remember,
1: we see you and you are enough. Holla!
0: Holla.